please turn me in your Bibles to John chapter 3, verses 22 through 36. John chapter 3, verses 22 through 36. John chapter 3, verses 22 through 36. Before we read, uh, please pray with me. Father God in heaven, in great humility, we come before you completely dependent, looking to, rejoicing in, trusting in the Lord Jesus Christ, your Son, our Savior and Lord. Uh, We thank you, Father, that you are eternal, the ancient of days. You are the first and the last, the alpha and the omega, the beginning and the end. You're in control. You have all things in your hands. And I thank you, Father, for your grace to save sinners and to use us crooked sticks to make straight lines, vessels in so many contexts and different arenas of life to glorify your son, the Lord Jesus Christ. As we open up your word, I pray that the Holy Spirit would illuminate our hearts and minds to understand its truth and to be transformed by it, to look more like Christ, to treasure him more. I pray that Christ would be exalted. He would help us to be more faithful uh, Christians who play sports for as long as you will us to. In Christ's name, amen. John 3, verses 22 through 36. The text reads, After this, Jesus and his disciples went into the Judean countryside, and he remained there with them and was baptizing. John also was baptizing at Anon near Selim because water was plentiful there and people were coming and being baptized for John had not yet been put in prison. Now a discussion arose between some of John's disciples and a Jew over purification. And they came to John and said to him, Rabbi, he who was with you across the Jordan to whom you bore witness, look, He is baptizing, and all are going to him. John answered, A person cannot receive even one thing unless it is given him from heaven. You yourselves bear me witness that I said, I am not the Christ, but I have been sent before him. The one who has the bride is the bridegroom. The friend of the bridegroom who stands and hears him rejoices greatly at the bridegroom's voice. Therefore, this joy of mine is now complete. He must increase, but I must decrease. He who comes from above is above all. He who is of the earth belongs to the earth and speaks in an earthly way. He who comes from heaven is above all. He bears witness to what he has seen and heard, Yet no, yet no one receives his testimony. Whoever receives his testimony sets his seal to this, that God is true. For he whom God has sent utters the words of God, for he gives the Spirit without measure. The Father loves the Son and has given all things into his hand. Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life but the wrath of God remains on him. So reads 
the word of the living God. So we begin with a question. Who is the GOAT? G-O-A-T, popular acronym of our time. The greatest of all time. Who is the GOAT? The one who has striven for greatness, surpassed all all others, and deserves the glory above all other athletes and people. Is it Michael Jordan? Is it Kobe Bryant? Is it LeBron James? Is it Michael Phelps? Serena Williams? Tom Brady? Muhammad Ali? This debate can go on forever, whether it's on high school campuses, locker rooms, barbershops, family events. There's something in us that strives for greatness, desires to be the greatest. And if we come to the realization that we're not going to be that, we want to at least determine who is the greatest. But what if I told you that Jesus has participated in this discussion already? Jesus has declared the one who has truly cr- captured greatness, and not just in sports, but life itself. Of all people up until the time in which Jesus spoke, in Matthew chapter 11, verse 11, Jesus says this, Truly I say to you, among those born of women, There has arisen no one greater than John the Baptist. The question becomes, why? Why is Jesus saying that no one that has ever been born is greater than John the Baptist? Last night when Austin was talking about that 400 years of silence and the lack of prophets and the wanting to hear from God again, John the Baptist was that final prophet who came who came to bear witness to the one who was true to the king that Israel was waiting for. But the greatness of John the Baptist wasn't because of personal accomplishment. It wasn't because of his personal skills or achievements or anything like that, but because of a passionate commitment to answer his calling, to point people and to prepare the way for Jesus Christ. His greatness wasn't acknowledged by Jesus because of his superior skills, self-determination, or self-exaltation, as people often think today, especially athletes. His greatness was declared by Jesus but because, because of his commitment to exalt and point to Christ. John the Baptist had a calling in his life, as do every single one of you from God. And in that calling, he rightly and obediently seen himself as a pointer, rightly understanding that Jesus is the point. Jesus, when you read the Gospels, never preached as a pointer. And what I mean by that is he never pointed to anyone else or anything, but always called people to himself. Matthew eleven twenty eight, 28, come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. And when he calls the disciples to to follow him, he simply says, follow me. In the Gospel of John, he says, I am the bread of life. I am the light of the world. Before Abraham, I am. I'm the door, the good shepherd, the resurrection, the life, the way, the truth, and the life. I am the true vine. Jesus presented and preached himself as the point. And John the Baptist, as the forerunner to his ministry, understood this. Remember, Jesus said that he was the greatest to ever be born of women. 
And yet let's see how John spoke about himself, especially in relation to Jesus. In John chapter 1, verses 7 through 8, the Apostle John describes John the Baptist as this. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light, the light being Christ, that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light. When we come down to verse 19, after John's prologue, and we see these Jews, these leaders are coming to John the Baptist as his popularity is growing. And they're like, who are you? And what are you seeking to accomplish? Because you are big time amongst the people. You're replacing us. It says in verse 20 that John the Baptist confessed and did not deny, but confessed, I am not the Christ. He immediately distanced himself from being the preeminent one in the king and the one who is the point above all others. And then we see John in verse 23 simply says, when he finally declares who he is in a positive sense, he says, I am the voice of one crying out in the wilderness, make straight the way of the Lord, as the prophet Isaiah said. He didn't even say like who he was as a person, really. He just brought himself down to simply being a voice, making straight the way for Jesus. And in verse 27, John the Baptist, who Jesus said is the greatest, he says that he is unworthy to untie Jesus's sandal straps. And in verse 34, or verse 29, when he first sees Jesus, John the Baptist says, behold. It's the first word he says, behold, look to him. I'm pointing you to him. It's about Christ. Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Then in verse 34, he says, I have seen and borne witness that this is the Son of God. See, greatness in Jesus' eyes, as we look at John the Baptist, is not in self-promotion, but captured through humility. The greatness of John the Baptist was in his instinctive and knee-jerk reaction to acknowledge and point to the supreme greatness of Jesus. He knew the desperate need that us sinners have for a Savior, but he boasted in the sufficiency of Christ that he was enough to save. And because Jesus is Lord, Savior, and King, we must live and play our sports for his glory, prizing Jesus and hoping and always moving to point people to him. And hear me loud and clear, there is no mismatch between our Savior and sports. They're not mutually exclusive. You don't have to experience this tension or make this crazy either-or choice of, I'm either a Christian or I'm an athlete. God has called you in this season of life to be a Christian athlete, much like he has called you to be a student athlete. You're a Christian first, foremost, and forever, but you're also an athlete as long as God blesses you to be able to play. And you play your sport for your enjoyment, for fun, to win, to be with your friends, but ultimately, you must play for Christ, for his glory, dependently upon him, working hard, giving your all as unto Jesus grateful for every moment of it because you know that it comes from your Savior's hands and ultimately not hoping to promote yourself but to point others to Jesus rather than seeking to just advance yourself. And we see that example with John the Baptist in his ministry. 
in in this example from John, must compel you in your life and in the sport that you play. Our text today will help you to live your life and play your sport for the same purpose, exalting, prizing, and pointing people to Jesus Christ. To put it simply, John chapter 3, verses 22 through 36 sets forth the centrality and supremacy of Jesus Christ so that you'd live your life and play your sport as a pointer, understanding that Jesus is the point. In other words, this text exalts Christ so that you'd live your life as a pointer, understanding that Jesus is the point in all of life, including the sport that you play. John the Baptist seen himself as a pointer, never the point, and that is how you are to play sports and to live all of your life because Jesus is the point of all. In this perspective, it's practical. It's not just theoretical and high theology in the clouds. This is down to ground level. On on the field, on the court, this perspective will help you to enjoy your life in sports as a gift from Christ and also for Christ and to engage every aspect of your sport towards him. This perspective transforms why you play, how you play, how you interact with your coaches, teammates, and opponents, how you respond to wins and losses. Because when you understand this, that sports are a gift from my king, from Jesus, and it's for his glory, and you want to do your best and give your all to point to and to please Christ. That is how this perspective can absolutely transform the way in which you approach the sport that God has blessed you to be able to play. So we'll consider this text from two headings or from two points in an outline, verses 22 through 30, the centrality of Christ, and verses 31 through 36, the supremacy of Christ. So first, the centrality of Christ, and then verses 31 through 36, the supremacy of Christ, and I'll quickly define terms. When I say the centrality of Christ, all I mean is that Jesus is the center focus of everything. I say the centrality of Christ, I mean that Jesus is the center focus of everything. He is of central importance in the universe down to the very details of our lives, including the sport that we play. When I say the supremacy of Christ, I mean that he is over and above all things, superior in excellence, in power, in worth, authority, and glory. So remembering that we are to live our lives and play our sports as pointers, understanding that Jesus is the point, we come to verses 22 through 33, the centrality of Christ. So verses 22 through 24 read, after this, Jesus and his disciples went into the the Judean countryside, and he remained there with them and was baptizing. John also was baptizing at Anon near Salim because water was plentiful there, and people were coming and being baptized, for John had not yet been put in prison. So the context of this is Jesus is now coming to the Judean countryside from Jerusalem, where he had that famous conversation with Nicodemus. He says, you must be born again. And for God so loved the world, he gave his only son. Whoever believes in him will not perish, but have eternal life. Now he's coming here. He's just left Jerusalem, but he's coming to the same area that John the Baptist is at. And this three texts are taught, these three verses are talking about John and Jesus. They're both with their disciples and they're doing the same thing. 
people are getting baptized, signifying their repentance and returning to God. John's ministry is established, done deal, and it's well known, while Jesus's ministry is rising. And really, it's taking over the whole area. So we come to verse 25. It says, now a discussion arose between some of John's disciples and a Jew over purification. So John's disciples here in verse 25 are engaged in a discussion that's probably pretty intense. And it's about purification, which is, just to put it very simply, it's just how to be clean before God. And you can't help but wonder, especially because of verses 23 through 24, if when they're talking about this, they're talking about which ministry, whether it be John's or Jesus's, that leads to this purification, to this being clean before God. Amongst the people, there's a bit of a rivalry rising between John's ministry and Jesus's ministry. It's like the new war for L.A., LeBron and A.D., and then you've got Kawhi and Paul George on the Clippers. They haven't even played a game. Season hasn't started yet, and there's already this rivalry. It's, it's, it's kind of similar to that. So they're having this discussion, and now we see in verse 26 that they're taking this discussion to John. It says, and they came to John and said to him, Rabbi, he who was with you across the Jordan, to whom you bore witness, look, he is baptizing. And all are going to him. So they take this discussion to John and they call him rabbi, a respected term for teacher. But in, 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 in them saying that, they're getting at the fact that, John, you could speak authoritatively into this discussion to where it's over. Whatever you say, that's just reality. That, that's just the facts of the matter. And I just want to stop clearly there and say, thank God that John the Baptist didn't allow that type of respect, that type of reverence, and that type of praise to go to his head. Especially as athletes, when you're in such a public sphere, and when you do well, so many people see, you can receive a lot of compliments and praise. And compliments can often be distracting. And praise can lead to the fueling of your pride. Unless we remember like John, I am not the Christ. No matter what people say, I'm not even worthy to carry Jesus' sandals. So furthermore, in verse 26, they're describing John and Jesus. He was with you across the Jordan to whom you bore witness. I want to pause there as well, because what an excellent description of John. John, you were with Jesus and you bore witness to Jesus. I just want to ask the question on your team. In your sport, with your coaches, teammates, opponents, and whoever, how would they describe you? Would they look at you and say, that is a person that has spent time with Jesus in his word and in prayer. That is a person who bears witness to Jesus. If you bring up a certain discussion or ask them a certain question, they will be unashamed about the gospel. That is an excellent description that they give to John, that we should all strive for people to see us in that way. But in verse 26, at the end, they say, look, he being Jesus, but really his disciples, they're baptizing and all are going to him. You would think that would be a good thing, right? 
when in the world is it a bad thing that all people are going to Jesus? John says, I bore witness to Jesus. I pointed all people to Christ and it worked. All people are going to him. But what these disciples are saying is, John, Jesus is taking center stage and you've got to do something. It's like we're going out of style. We're losing our popularity, our influence, our fame, our platform. We're not receiving the attention anymore. The disciples of John obviously hadn't been listening to John. As you read in John 1, the first disciples of Jesus were disciples of John. But these disciples were jealous and self-centered, the text presents. Because there's a problem if the focus being on Jesus bothers you. It shows a high view of self or of someone else and a low view of Christ. See, it's sinful to be self-centered. It's right to be Christ-centered in all of our lives. So much of our life in the sports we play are like two kids playing on a seesaw. Only one can be lifted at a time. When when one is up, the other one has got to be down. When the other one is up, then the other one's got to be down. So in life, you either exalt yourself or you you will exalt Christ. You You will proclaim Christ or you'll just present yourself. And athletes, so so far often in this country, are so quick to just promote and present ourselves as if we were self-made and not recipients of God's grace and not empowered and gifted by him. If you have a season or a great game and someone says, man, all glory be to Christ, he's so faithful. He really sustained you and blessed you. It shouldn't bother you. Really, we should be saying amen, not Oh, man, but, 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 did, but, but did you see the catch that I made? But, but did you see how I pushed through? It's just not what it's about. So we come to verse 27 and we see John's response to, these, to his disciples. It says, John answered, A person cannot receive even one thing unless it is given him from heaven. So you could just picture the confusion on John's face as to why they're scoffing at the focus being upon Jesus. John is saying, in other words, of verse 27, everything we are, everything we've done, and everything that we have, we have received from God. He's presenting the same logic of 1 Corinthians 4, 7, when it asks the question, what do you have that you have not received? It's the biblical principle that every good and perfect gift is from above, from God's sovereign hand. We're not so much go-getters as we think. We are first receivers from God's goodness. And even the gifts, the talents, and the athletic abilities that you have and that you work hard to improve, that's not ownership. That's just good stewardship of what God has blessed you with. And John is saying, I pointed people to Jesus And now they're going to him. I cannot command success in my ministry. I can only receive what God has given me. We can learn from that humility and that contentment and the submission to God's sovereign and giving hand. Whatever your circumstances are, whatever your abilities are, whatever talent, successes, whatever size you have that either helps you or hurts you in your sport, whatever abilities and talents and gifts, whatever it may be, joyfully receive it as a gift from God and be faithful with it. 
steward it well, and push for the glory of Jesus. Work hard. Christians have a greater motivation than anyone else. Just striving to earn glory for themselves, we're seeking to glorify our Savior who loved us and gave himself for us. And in acceptance lies peace. Accept how God has made you, how fast he made you, how big he's made you, wherever he's put you with the coaches and the teammates that he's put you with. And you accept it as coming from God's fatherly and gracious hand. There lies peace, peace to move on when it's time to move on. Peace and disappointment and wins and losses. Peace to give it your all. Peace when pressure's rising, understanding it's not about you. Peace because your life isn't dependent upon this. You won't stand before the throne as an athlete, a football player, basketball player, whatever, but as a Christian, as one who is in Christ, and your life is his, and all that you do is for his glory, and to point others to him, and to please him. So in verse 27, John is saying, ministry is a gift that I've received from God. His will be done, especially when Christ is put at the center focus. We can learn from that. He continues in verse 28. He says, you yourselves bear me witness that I said, I am not the Christ, but I have been sent before him. So John is saying here, you already know what I've said. You already know what I've borne witness to. You know that I'm not the Christ. I've never presented myself as the point. I've come before him to, to, to prepare the way for him. John is saying essentially is I'm the decoy on this play. So Jesus can get open and get thrown the ball. I set the pick so Jesus gets the open shot. I'm passing him the ball. I'm giving him the baton to win it all. I am not the point Jesus is. I am but a pointer. It's not about me. And you would think diminishing ministry would disappoint John. But he knew all of his ministry, all of his success popularity and whatever it may be were gifts and blessings from God's hand. And he was joyful when Christ was being glorified. And sometimes like this diminishing ministry of John, your life will be tough, especially in sports. Sports can bring so much trial and just difficulty and sorrows to life, though it brings many joys and fun and all of that. Whether it's bad playing time, injuries, you lose the game, not getting along with coaches or teammates, let's remember that God is in control. All of life is a gift from his hand, not necessarily gain for you. And with all the hardships and disappointments and struggles that life and sports can bring, God will use it to the glory of Jesus and to make you more like him. It all provides an opportunity for you to point people to Jesus, even the hard times in your sport. When you're injured or just you get benched or whatever it may be, when you handle that with peace, not, not that you don't desire to change or to start or things like that, but when you accept it, joy, um, just with peace and trust in God, coaches and teammates will see your endurance. They'll, they'll, they'll see the lack of ego and they'll see the Christ-centeredness of your perspective. And, and they'll take notice of that in one day. When sports are over or teams change, the teammates who may have been very hostile to you being a Christian, 
to you striving to tell people about Jesus, those will be the same teammates hitting you up later in life when they get hurt or when a parent passes away or some type of tragedy or hardship comes upon their life or they would just want to know God more. I say, I remembered my teammate. I I remembered him and how he talked about Christ and how when he went through things, he 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 clung to the scriptures and leaned upon Christ. When when things didn't go right in his life, he had a peace that I just don't have. She was able to handle this so much better than me. And you could be that person in someone's life. If you faithfully understand that all of life is a gift from God and that God doesn't necessarily need your greatness to glorify Jesus. We talk about glorifying Christ. We often think that means us winning the Heisman or winning MVP or doing this. Sure, if you can, if you can ball out in that way, do it and give Christ all the glory. Just don't forget him when it happens. Understand, God could use you if you're on the bench. God could use you if you're really not that well, uh, not the best of player. God could use you if you're just injured on the sideline. God could use any and every circumstance in your life to glorify Christ and to make you more like him. So in verse 27, John, speaking about his ministry, is saying, I'm not the point. My calling is to prize and to point people to Jesus. And that is the same for you. John continues and illustrates this in uh, verse 29. He says, the one who has the bride is the bridegroom. The friend of the bridegroom who stands and hears him, rejoices greatly at the bridegroom's voice. Therefore, this joy of mine is now complete. So John uses the illustration of a wedding. And the bride, he's saying, belongs to the groom. The bride in this illustration would be the people, the people who are all now going to Jesus. And the groom would be Jesus. As oftentimes in the Bible, whether it's Israel, the church, the people of God or often referred to as the bride and as the bride of God or as the bride of Christ. And in ancient weddings, the friend, and that's who John the Baptist is in this illustration, functioned like a best man would function today. He handled the details of the wedding. He overseen the ceremony. But most importantly, he made sure everything was good between the bride and the groom. He was like the middleman between the bride and the groom. He ensured that their union would come together perfectly and that the marriage ceremony would go well. So what John is saying here is, I am the middleman for the bride, not the main man. You're complaining about all people going to Christ and him getting all the attention, but that is the very thing that I am called to do. John says that the friend, he stands and he hears the groom, meaning that he's there to serve him. And he rejoices at his voice. He rejoices at the presence of the groom. He's rejoiced that he has arrived. And John says that he has, that that the friend rejoices greatly. And then he says, therefore, this joy of mine is now complete. So John has great joy and he has complete joy that all people are going to Jesus, that he is becoming the center focus in being exalted. He has final and ultimate satisfaction that Christ is being put at the center. John was content with his role. His soul was pleased to be a pointer to Jesus. And that's important, knowing your role, knowing your lane. Horace Grant, a guy that I'm sure none of you probably know, he 
played with Michael Jordan the first three championships he won from 1991 to 
Jesus has the name that is above every other name. May it be your goal and your joy in life that people would hear and know of the name of Jesus. Let that be why you play, to have fun, to have joy and all those things, but for the glory of Jesus Christ and for the proclamation of his name. For in Christ, in him, you live and move and have your being. It's only through his power and through his help that you can even play the game. And if you're going to play for Christ's glory, this doesn't mean being soft. This doesn't mean being weak and timid and just things like that. Go all out. Work hard. Give it your all. Work wholeheartedly as unto the Lord, as Colossians says. Playing for Jesus and looking towards his glory is a much better motivation than someone just wanting to promote themselves. When you think about the Savior who saved you, who has kept you and loved you, who created you and yet loves you despite you. How you interact with coaches, teammates, and players, this means you should be humbly competitive, not prideful and boastful. And and in dealing with your coaches, it means you're coachable, understanding that I live all my life under authority, under the lordship of Jesus. But knowing your sport on your team and your locker rooms, that Christ-likeness leads to conversations about Christ. When people see you following Jesus and living in such a way that it reflects the person of Christ, they will ask questions. And you'll have great opportunities to tell people of the gospel. So how you respond to injury, loss, wins, things like that, when you're saying he must increase but I must decrease, is you play prayerfully, trustingly. And in pressure, it's as big of a deal to you because you know ultimately it's not about me. This is not life and death for me. My identity, my whole sense of person is not dependent upon this, though I want to succeed. And when you do succeed and God blesses you in that way, you're eager to praise him and to lift him up because he's gifted you to play and he's given you life itself. This is the centrality of Christ and how it applies and fits in with our sports. So having seen this, now we come to verses 31 through 36, and we'll look through this rather quickly. And we see the supremacy of Christ, that he is over and above all things, superior above all. And really the supremacy of Christ supports why Christ must be central in all things. The supremacy of Christ tells us why he must increase and I must decrease. We come to verse 31. says, he who comes from above is above all. He who is of the earth belongs to the earth and speaks in an earthly way. He who comes from heaven is above all. So this verse is just showing us that Jesus is supreme in origin. He is eternal. Jesus never had a beginning. He was, he always was simply there, absolute reality. He is before and above all things. He never had a beginning and all exists for him. He is central to the very universe and in your life and as you play your sport because he is supreme over all, even in his origin. And see that he contrasted with us. He or John the Baptist in the context, but just in a general sense of everybody, of the earth, belongs to the earth, speaks in an earthly way, doesn't compare to Jesus who came down from heaven, having existed eternally. Christ is above all. There's no comparison at all. He's supreme. We are but his subjects. 
So we are to play for him above all, live for him above all, above playing for your own glory, above playing for your own popularity, above playing for parents, above playing for a scholarship. Play for Christ, for he is supreme, the eternal one who has brought you into existence and the one for whom you exist. And then we look to verses 32 through 33, John continues, and this shows us the supreme testimony of Jesus. It says, he bears witness to what he has seen and heard, yet no one receives his testimony. Whoever receives his testimony sets seal to this, that God is true. These verses are saying the message of Jesus surpasses all else because he's the son of God. He came down from heaven and he alone can authoritatively speak about heavenly things. To consider Jesus as truthful is to accept that God is truthful. To believe Jesus is to believe God. And I was reading this article recently. And this lady, she wrote, being an athlete isn't just about playing sports. And it shouldn't be. So stop thinking athletes should just stick to sports. But then she went on to praise athletes who posted on social media, wrote on their cleats or their wristbands or in interviews, talked about things like Black Lives Matter or awareness for domestic violence or police brutality or societal inequalities. But if athletes have the right to speak out on those things, as a Christian, that should cause joy in your heart because surely you have the right and have been given the mandate from God to speak, to represent on the supreme word of Jesus, the ultimate truth and gospel that all people need. Jesus has the supreme testimony. And as a Christian athlete, you have every right to be grateful for it and to proclaim it whenever you're given the opportunity. And this doesn't mean that in every interview, every time you get a chance to talk, you're like telling people the gospel. But it's just giving glory to Jesus. And when God provides those opportunities, you're quick to it. Rather than being unashamed or thinking that this is all just your working, that you were brought to this place. So in verse 34, it says, For he whom God has sent utters the words of God, for he gives the Spirit without measure. And this verse shows us that Jesus is supreme in power because he has the Holy Spirit without measure in the very words of God. So, of course, You want to work hard in your sport. Playing for Jesus means grinding tough for Christ. You want to be, but but of course you want to be mentally and physically strong, but do hear this, that there's never a point as a Christian in your life, and especially as a Christian athlete, that you get strong enough to where you are to stop depending on Jesus's power. Acts 17 says that in him, we live and move and have our being. Your very life the very fact that you can move and have a heart and a being and a soul, all these things that can play your sports, it's through and by and because of Christ sustaining you and empowering you. And you have that supremacy of Christ's power to rely upon. That is a joyful thing for an athlete. So in verse 35, we see that Jesus is supreme in authority. It says the Father loves the Son and has given all things into his hand. Remember John the Baptist said in verse 27, that no one can receive anything unless God gives it to him. Well, God has given all things into Jesus's hands, including your sport. All things are in Christ's hands. All things have been given to him, and this means that he holds all things together. 
He holds your life together, no matter what circumstances, what injuries, no matter what comes your way. All things are in Jesus's hands. And in verse 36, we see the ultimate reason why Jesus is central and Jesus is supreme, because he is the savior that we need. It says, whoever believes in the son has eternal life. Whoever does not obey the son shall not see life, but the wrath of God remains on him. Salvation is in Christ alone. We are sinners before a holy God, but Christ is the Savior, the only mediator, and the only one through whom we can be forgiven, redeemed, and reconciled unto God. And that is the message that we rely on and depend upon. If you do not know Christ, do not wait. Do not just go to lunch or another game or whatever. Turn to Christ. See his mercy. Understand your sinfulness, but know that there is a Savior in Jesus who will bring you to himself and redeem you and reconcile you and keep you forever to have everlasting joy in making much of him. That is the truth of the gospel. And the reality is, is those who don't obey the son, those who do not live for him and follow him in faith, they won't see eternal life. But the wrath of God will remain on them forever. As an athlete, the, your mission field is the football field. It is the soccer field. It is the track field. It is the court, the pool, or whatever it else. You are a witness for this gospel that you have trusted in and that you believe upon. You have an amazing opportunity to proclaim Christ and just to invite them to church and to live Christ-like so they see that those who come to Christ, they live transformed lives. They're made new and they see the world different. So, Understanding this gospel truth, pray for your team and your coaches because they need Christ and live a life unashamed before them because they need Jesus. This is the supremacy of Christ. And after this, in the gospel of John, John the Baptist is gone. He said he must increase and I must decrease. And he doesn't show up in the gospel at all. He's gone from it. And eventually we know from other gospels that he was martyred and killed. But Jesus said in Matthew eleven eleven that, Of those arisen, there's no one greater than John. Of those born of a woman, no one's greater. But if you turn back to Matthew 11, verse 11 with me. Though Jesus says that John is the greatest of those born amongst women, my final call to you is that you can be great too. Not just in a sport not just in the eyes of people in the stands, but in God's eyes. You can be great too. Jesus says in Matthew 11, 11, truly I say to you among those born of women, there has arisen no one greater than John the Baptist. Yet the one who is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. You can be great too. And Jesus says greater than John. And that's because he only seen the ministry of Jesus. He didn't see Jesus die on the cross and then rise again like the other apostles. So John looked forward to what Jesus would do, bearing witness to him. We as Christians today look back to the victory of Christ, to his death and resurrection. And we know of his ascension, that he has all authority and that he is king, the only savior and Lord, and that he will return. We know these truths. So when we live for Christ, play for Christ and proclaim him to the world, That is greatness in God's eyes. That's a greater greatness than just winning MVP, though that's amazing and provides a great opportunity for you to point to Christ. 
All of you, regardless of your sports career, how great you do, how long it is, you have an opportunity for this greatness in pointing people to Jesus. And it's in, and it's such a unique time that you have in your locker rooms and amongst your team and playing your sport and just all the influence that that gives to athletes. Christian, today, you know the fullness of the gospel. Strive to point people to Jesus, understanding that you're not the point he is. Let's pray. Father God in heaven, I thank you for your word. I thank you for your truth. I thank you for Christ. Help us to live and to play for him. His name.